One. Hey, happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the I-5 Corridors Traffic Report. Tyson Alger here, and we're, we're still stuck on soccer. Uh, after doing the Timbers game <laughs> last week, uh, good buddy Jake Zivin reached out and was like, when, when do I get the spot on the corridor? And frankly, I just, I didn't, didn't ever think that this was a spot that you wanted to be on, Jake. So, uh, if, if you're listening to this, you know, you've known him for a long time as Portland, the Portland Timbers play-by-play man. He is now, you're kind of a big dog now, dude. I, I was watching you on Apple TV a couple days ago. Everything mm-hmm. looks great. Jake Zivin, MLS season pass, Apple TV. Thanks for joining us today, man. Hey, hey, first of all, I'm not sure that's exactly how it went down. Uh, but th- secondly, uh, <laughs> never in all my days would I see the I-5 corridor covering soccer. I've said this. If you're going to call it the I-5 corridor, I feel like you've got to include the Timbers, if you're only talking Oregon, and you're, you know, you're going up to, to Seattle, right? For, for, yeah, every, every, we're we're, we're dipping our toes in those waters. So So you can't ignore Cascadia and and Timbers Sounders and that rivalry. So man, I'm glad that you, uh, you've come over this way and I'm happy to, happy to be uh, uh, an evangelical for the beautiful game on the i5 corridor um, i'm quite honored to be here tyson it's 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 pretty funny because i i've brought on people um that i've known for a long time you know like i worked mm-hmm. with andrew greif he's been a multiple time guest or you know you, you know greif pretty well um or all these people that i feel like I've, I've known for a long time but like legitimately out of everybody in my professional life i've probably known you actually the longest dating back to when i was just a yeah. little student journalist at montana in missoula and, and you were working for the tv station there Causing problems when you were in Missoula, causing problems, controversy, making headlines. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, man, th- those were the days um, I-, I miss Missoula. And for you, what an experience it was. That that was my what my impression there was like what an experience for, for what you guys are doing as college journalists. Uh, you know, Bobby Houck, the coach there, who's the coach now, was, was not too happy with, with you journalism right with, with what you guys were doing so um man i was uh i was i always looked on on those days and 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 what you guys were doing as uh with with admiration right and knowing that okay if if y'all are willing to to get into it a little bit with with a college football head coach who in look we know you know this right we know this uh in montana that's the head coach of the grizz is like the big sports figure in the state right the power you know probably the highest paid public uh employee of the state maybe um very powerful so man I, anyway big ups for for that you, you <laughs> it, can google it, you can google it if you don't know what we're talking about it, it it is funny to think of um so i went from montana to to oregon which is undeniably a, a larger beat and and sure. duck fans are pretty fanatic and all those sorts of things but i would i would argue like when you're actually like in the middle of like the hype storm, like Montana can kind of go pound for pound with like, oh. like it's like almost like that quintessential, like all the storefronts have like the like closed out to the game, like on Saturdays type of vibe to that city. A- absolutely. I mean, I, so when I was there covering the Grizz, they went to two national title games, right? When we were there, uh, they, it was every Montana, the Montana Grizzly football team in Missoula, not even in Missoula, in the entire state of Montana. Yeah. Every bit as big as, Oregon, you know, the Oregon Ducks are and every bit as big as Alabama is in Alabama. I mean, that sounds like hyperbole, but I don't think it is, right? I mean, it's a smaller state, but there's sort of fewer fans from a quantity standpoint, but that doesn't mean that that quality of fanaticism um is is any different or even the percentage kind of right percentage of the state that's focused on that. 
um, is, is any different. Yeah. It, oh, it's amazing. I, I imagine if you told like 2008, 2009, Jake Zivin that 13 years later, you would be, you know, almost a 10 year MLS broadcaster, like going into like your debut season with yeah. Apple, which at that point, you're like the, the computer maker. Uh, I, I have to imagine that probably would have seemed like pretty wild, but you know, even from when I got to know you a little bit more in Eugene on the, on the duck speak, like it was kind of right before you started kind of being known for the timbers, but it was like, you know, this, this is the soccer guy. Like this is his passion. Yeah. Like how, how was it for you kind of like going from like dipping your toes into that water and kind of being the guy who like wanted to kind of like wanted to get into soccer to now here, like a decade later, like this is, this is your career and, and you're part of kind of like a maiden voyage for a pretty big entity like Apple and, and this new deal they have with the MLS. Yeah. Look, I'll, I'll start with, with that kind of personal uh, question for me. I've always, soccer's always been my favorite sport. MLS has always been my kind of, favorite league favorite is a weird word in that regard, but kind of my, my league of focus um, from a little kid growing up in Evanston, Illinois, right, right outside of Chicago as a diehard Chicago fire fan. Uh, I interned for the league in the broadcasting department when I was in what, college. What, what was it about the fire when you were four? That, yeah. That grabbed so you? look, so I, I, you know, I played soccer growing up, right? I mean, I was I, like a lot of us um, of my, I'm 37 now. So a lot of people of my generation played AYSO soccer when you were five, when you were in kindergarten, right? I mean, that's, that was like, it's still happening now, but I, was from one of the kind of first generations of that where every little kid is playing AY. So, and we play little league, but we play both. And soccer was my favorite sport. It was the one that I was best at, which is saying nothing because I'm a terrible <laughs> athlete, but I was slightly better at soccer than, than baseball or basketball and definitely uh, not, uh, not nearly tough enough for American football. So that was not a uh, tackle football was never going to be in, in my future. Um, but so for me as a kid growing up in Chicago who loved sports, I grew up with Michael Jordan, right? And the Bulls. I grew up with the Cubs and the Bears who were terrible, but who I loved dearly. Um, and then when when MLS came into existence, so I could start at World Cup 94, right? They played games yeah. in Chicago. I think I went to, there was a send-off game for the U.S. at Soldier Field I went to and my grandpa took me to <laughs> um, when I was probably eight or nine um, at World Cup. That, that was amazing. MLS came in in 1996. Finally, we have a league, right? Finally, like, because I didn't get that. I'm I'm eight, nine. I'm playing basketball. I'm playing baseball. I'm playing soccer. Soccer is my favorite sport. Well, I can watch the Bulls. I can watch the Bears. I can watch the Cubs. I can't, there's no there's no soccer team. Right. Why not? Right? I'm eight. Nine. I don't get that. Uh, MLS comes in. Now there is the Chicago Fire or an expansion team in 98. Year three of the league. Now I have a team that's mine. Um, and so for me, you know, I was never one who as a kid who would gravitate towards like becoming a fan of a European team. Um, it, it was certainly, they were harder to watch now. Now it's so easy. We can watch everything around the world. It's remarkable. But I still have friends who I grew up with who became you know, diehard Manchester United fans. Manchester United, still a giant, but they were really a giant back then in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. You know, now they're less less the cool team to, to become a fan of. Right now it's Liverpool or, or Man City. Um, and 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 a friend diehard Real Madrid fan, fan, one of my best friends, the Galacticos era. But for me, I needed a personal connection. So Chicago was a fire. Like I love the Bulls, I love the Bears. I love why would I not love the fire? They're Chicago's team. Um, so from the moment that they came into the league, I was a diehard fan of theirs. Uh and then, you know, worked for the league when I was in college. I interned in the broadcasting department of MLS. Um 
I then worked on the game of the week for MLS slash ESPN Saturdays in the production truck. I was the the bug op clock and score operator, basically the lowest position in the truck. I was probably 10 years younger than anybody else in that (laughs) truck. And I was flying around to wherever the game was every week. Friday, I'd take morning classes to drive up. I went to Carleton College in a school in Minnesota. I'd drive up to MSP Airport, hop on Northwest Airlines and fly to wherever the game was. I'm 20. I'm gold. That was probably like the the coolest you ever felt, right? Amazing. I'm getting upgraded to first class. I'm 20 years old. You know, I'm landing in whatever LA and Denver and going to dinner with, with Rob Stone, Eric Ronaldo, Brandy Chastain, who were the broadcasters. Rob was play by play. Eric was the color commentator. Brandy was the sideline reporter. People who I grew up. I mean, I was still growing up at that time. I was 20, but people who I watched on TV and kind of idolized. Oh, it was amazing. And, and so look, I loved, I loved the league from when it started. And then certainly through that experience, which was in 2005, 2006, it became, I think for me more less about the Chicago fire as, as a, a fan of that one team and more about this whole league and, um, you know, wanting it to succeed and, and American soccer as a whole, um, so yeah, so then I got away from it, right? Because when you come out of college, you just got to, if you want to be a broadcaster, you just got to go wherever somewhere. You got to go, you gotta go take your licks somewhere, right? Wherever, I mean, just like as a, as a writer, right? I mean, you're going to, you're as a journalist, you're going to out of college, you're going to take whatever job is offered to you first, whoever will pay you to write articles, cover a team or, you know, go on TV and talk about sports. That's what you're going to do. Um, back then there wasn't. 2007, you didn't have all these digital outlets. You couldn't create the I-5 corridor. And you know what I mean? Like that wasn't an option in 2007. So you just, you know, went to small market TV and in Montana and then to Eugene, but to, to come full circle there. So for me to get back into soccer was always what I wanted to do. Always would have been, I would have told you, you know, in sitting in the the press room of Washington Grizzly Stadium in Missoula. Yeah, that, that's, that would be my dream. I would be to do play by play for an MLS team. Uh, and so been so fortunate to to have been able to do that now. Yeah. For almost a decade. And, and when, now in the Apple deal. When did the MLS get to the point where like that could actually be someone's job in terms of being yeah. like, like, you know, like I'm a great I'm the full-time broadcaster yeah. and it can support me. It's a great question. It's, it's relatively recent. I distinctly remember, and I was talking to somebody this weekend about it. I distinctly remember sitting in my apartment in Eugene. So after Missoula, uh, I went, uh, well, I started in Butte, Montana, then Missoula, then Eugene for, for KZI, the ABC station, um, in Eugene. Just freaking murderers row. When you look back at that roster hey, now, ooh, just you, proud. Steven Nelson, Nelson, Eric, really Woo. proud. Eric Elk and Brian Salmon's the King of Las Vegas right now. So, oh man. Um, Really proud of all the people I've I've worked with. Even going back to to Missoula, Kayla Anderson, who's crushing it in, in Nashville. Um, so so I remember having a conversation. I was in the in my apartment in Eugene, and I was on the phone with my my former boss at Major League Soccer, who, who I interned for, who was at that point the vice president of I think broadcasting in MLS. It's probably 2012, 2013. And I, I asked him, I was like, is this is that a viable career path, being the play-by-play voice of an MLS team? And the answer was at the time was was no, it, like not not now. It, and it wasn't. I don't think there were even in 2012, 2013. There, I don't know if any of the local broadcasters were, were full time with a team. A lot of PM, you know, they're, they're working other jobs. Maybe they're doing like media stuff for the team as well. Maybe they're just you know a broadcaster locally in in the market who's a good broadcaster who's also calling some college football some college basketball um etc and then doing doing mls 
that rapidly changed over the next 10 years. Um, I was fortunate. The Timbers brought me on to do radio in 2014, my, my last year in Eugene, and then brought me up as a full-time employee in 2015. And I did a lot that first year. I wasn't even doing Timbers TV. I was doing Timbers radio. I was doing T2. I was hosting Timbers in 30. But they made that commitment to bring me on full-time. And there were not a lot of uh, around-the-league positions for full-time you know, even like digital host reporters, right? So, um, I, how much did you, I, how much did you enjoy? Good. How much did you enjoy that first year when it was just going from I'm not covering, you know, like a Wednesday football practice where no one's <laughs> going to say anything to me, and you know, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was it was a thrill because because I wanted to be in, in MLS, right? So just yeah. to be calling games and to be all around soccer full time was great, but I missed the the KZI days. There's <laughs> like there's there's pros and cons to to all of it to any job, right? In any position, and we had a, we had a great time. I I missed being in a newsroom, right? Which was a very different. Yeah, yeah I, I was in an office. I went from that to being in an office at Providence Park. I had a desk there. You know, it was nine to five, and then I would do games. But it was I was there nine to five, right? And and newsroom, the local news is not like that. And so, yeah, I missed that kind of camaraderie of the newsroom. I missed the rush of a a Friday night, right? The rush of a Saturday. Um, but we get that with with games. Um, and and yeah, so you know, there's pros and cons for me, right? Of course, it was it was what I loved to do, and, and it was a thrill. And um, you know the the I feel fortunate to have been able to take that path. Tell me about the new gig a little bit. Yeah, here we go. At yeah. MLS season pass on Apple TV. So for those that don't know, um, Major League Soccer has has changed their broadcasting landscape um, for several years. For really the entirety of the league's existence until this year, it was similar to what the NBA has where we most you have local games every team has their own local broadcast that airs in their market uh, with some games then on national tv so for years we were on root sports uh, and and fox 12 and fox 12 plus in portland but the timbers would have you know 10 games a year on espn or fox or fox sports one um every team was a similar setup to that well the league took all the broadcast rights for this year and packaged them essentially. And now they're all on, on Apple, uh, on a new service called MLS season pass on Apple TV. You can watch every game without any blackouts, wherever you are in a hundred countries uh, in English or Spanish, um, uh, through this service. And it's, it's groundbreaking. It's different. It's disruptive to the industry, I think. Uh, and I think it's, it's probably, um, you know, a good predictor of where, the entire, not the entire, but a lot of sports broadcasting is going to go. MLS is ahead of it. And so what they did is, again, they eliminated all, all the local broadcasts and now are broadcasting each game uh, from a neutral perspective. And it's it's showing on streaming uh, on this service. So now it becomes kind of like an NFL model, right? When you watch a Seahawks game, there's just one broadcast. There's not a Seahawks broadcast and a Raiders broadcast. One going to Seattle, one going to Vegas. There's just the one national broadcast. And that's now how all the MLS games are. Uh, I feel really fortunate to be part of it. Um, I'm one of many play-by-play broadcasters and, and analysts um, paired with, with the great Taylor Twelman, who for years and years is very well known as ESPN's lead analyst at soccer, lead soccer voice. Um, and so we go to a different game every week and uh, it's, it's different from of course what I've been used to, but it's incredible. It's such a thrill. As I've said, I love this whole league. So Saturday night, we were in St. Louis for them to open up their stadium 
it's such a special night and it's so cool to be part of that. It's, uh, it's, it's almost like surreal to be the voice of that. Right. I mean, I, you know, have all of these images of iconic moments in MLS history burned into my brain and to keep it locally in Portland, like that first ever home game in Providence park in 2011 on April 14th, Adrian Healy was on the call for ESPN. Like those calls will live forever in Portland Timbers history and MLS history. Cause that was such a big night for the league. Same thing for Saturday night in St. Louis, that night will for in St. Louis soccer history live forever. And even in the history of the league, it was a really special night and a showcase night. So yeah, it's, um, it's great. It's great to be a part of it. Um, and it's great to be part of something that I think is really groundbreaking and something that I think is going to be trend setting and is going to be a, a proven is going to you know prove a path forward for a lot of sports broadcasting in the future. Do, do you think there's going to be much, and, and granted, I, I also know a lot of the games were already broadcast naturally, naturally and have like a neutral broadcasting kind of component to mm-hmm. it. Um, but what do you do? You think anything gets lost at all? Like when you do eliminate, like the like the so and so is the voice yeah. of like what like like that kind of side of things. I I don't I, know. I mean, look, you hear that a lot. We hear that a lot, right? On I understand that a lot of fans of a team like the voices that they're used. To, to um that they're used to hearing uh in portland right they're used to hearing me and ross smith and nap orchards or liam ridgewell calling games um and we feel that that support from people who, who really enjoyed listening to us and it's the same for the other you know, 28 teams that that existed there's the other 27 teams that existed before this year st louis obviously never had a local broadcast in their team number 29 but my thing my thought about that is like I, I, I have never heard anybody say, I'm a Bears fan. I grew up a Bears fan. I've never thought to myself, oh, I wish I could hear the Bears broadcast of this game, right? I never did. It's like, that's what that's how the NFL called games. You, you tuned into Bears Packers, Bears Vikings, Bears Browns, whoever, on Fox or on CBS, and, and you just assumed that the broadcasters were extremely knowledgeable, extremely prepared, called it down the middle, you didn't feel like you were missing anything. They were the experts, the people calling the game on both teams. And that was not questioned. And the reason it wasn't questioned for me is, is one, you know, you're, you're used to it, but, but two, they, they did the work and they were good and you didn't question it. So for me, you know, if, if there's any questions of, are you, or the, you know, you being the collective, you going to know the teams well enough to call two different teams every week. Now that you're not just calling the same team week after week and can focus on that team because they're the the home team or they're your broadcast team. It's on us to do the work to that's the job. Right. Well, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't, for me, I feel like, um, no, there won't be something missing, but I, I understand fans that are used to a voice that love hearing a voice and that, you know, miss that right now. I, I would, I would, venture to suggest that you probably end up being more prepared because it like, yes. cause you like, you don't fall into that comfort zone of like, I know this team like already like the back of my hand and like, you're, you're going into something with open eyes too. It's not, I mean, like you can, I, I thought you were excellent with all your Timbers coverage, but like you. if you, if you do something for as long as, as you did it, or I mean, same thing carries over to like to my ducks coverage. Like, I think you just get, lazy isn't the right word at all, but like you just see seeing things a little bit differently than you do when things are fresh. And and so like, like I, I think that would actually be a pretty cool component to those broadcasts is because 
all the broadcasters that they pulled up to, to your rank are all people who really care about the league and who are going to be going into these different situations with like, like, I kind of like it when people come into Providence Park and they're like, oh my gosh, like this place is off. Like, you know, you're kind of looking at it with like those eyes of like, I'm not used to this. Absolutely. And like to that point, there are, you know, when, when we're doing Timbers games, like you, 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 you don't want to repeat yourself every week. Right. <laughs> so, so there are stories that you tell the story once about a player and then, you know, you kind of know your, your, your viewers have, have heard it. So you're not going to tell it again. And, um, you know, it, you're maybe even like forcing storylines and stuff like that each week because it is, it's almost, um, it's like a, you know, a week by week progression throughout the season in the broadcast. And now, yeah, when you come in, like when I'm prepping for, I'm doing Charlotte Atlanta this week. Yeah. You're, you're looking at it differently, right? You're, you're taking this step back view on the two teams. Um, and, and I think that helps bring in the casual fan a little bit more if, if they're, if they're listening to the broadcast, because you kind of have that perspective, right? That kind of neutral perspective of, of everything, um, surrounding the game, as opposed to this, like, like kind of tunnel vision, right. Of like, this is what happened last week. This is where we are now. And we're, we're kind of moving forward. It's a little more holistic. What's it, uh, what's the biggest complaint you've heard from people about you guys being on a streaming channel? Oh, you know, and, I mean, and, 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 and yeah. I'm going par- to parlay this into the ongoing discussion about whether Pac-12 ends up on Apple or Ion or whatever, you know, <laughs> right. or, 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 or right. you know, in, insert yeah. made-up broadcast. Right, know. exactly. I mean, look, look, change, change in anything is um, is change is difficult in life. We all know that, right? And and so this is a change for for a lot of people. Uh, for a lot of people, it's a really positive change. We, I'll say this the biggest complaint that I heard over the past eight years of doing Timbers broadcast is that it could not be streamed in Portland. Mm-hmm. There was no way to stream a Timbers match in Portland or in our broadcast market, which depending on what channel the game was on could include Washington, Idaho, and Montana. There was no way to stream it. Not, none. Not even if you, if you subscribed to uh, Comcast or a direct TV where you could watch the game, you still couldn't stream it. So if you're out of your house on the phone, on the go, you know, running errands at a party somewhere, uh, you couldn't watch it on your phone. Impossible. Let alone cutting the cord yeah. and then sub- subscribing to something that would allow you to watch it literally was impossible. And the amount of complaints that we got about that were were high as as you would expect, right? Um, so those people that, that had complained about that were... Uh, of course, thrilled for are of course thrilled, and I think that that is uh, a majority. I think I think that that outweighs the people who you know are are feeling like, why do I have to pay for something else, right? For, for something that I used to get for free, and that's in quotation marks because it wasn't for free. It was part of your it was baked into the yeah. Or your, yeah, right, which is very expensive. Um, so yeah, look, of course, of course, that's that's the big one. Um, and, and that's understandable, right? And, and nowadays there's no way to make a broadcast accessible for, in like for everybody, you know what I'm saying? Like if you, if you go to streaming, there's going to be people that would rather just have it on their cable box. Um, and you know, Apple MLS season pass on Apple TV, Apple TV in general is available on a lot of cable boxes. You, yes, you have to subscribe to, to an extra subscription to watch all of the games, but six games a week are free for everybody 
on the Apple TV app, if you're using your iPad, your iPhone, your Mac, your computer, uh, or Apple TV, the actual hardware, piece of hardware, um, or most, you know, Chromecast, Roku, I could go on, right? Everything would, would have the Apple TV app for the most part, or just tv.apple.com, like in an internet browser, if you have an Android phone, if you're, you know, using a PC, right? Six games a week are free, including, for example, the Saturday night, the Timbers are hosting St. Louis City SC. That match is for free. So anybody can watch it by going to tv.apple.com or the Apple TV app. So that's- No, really no blackouts really too, right? Accessible. Exactly. No blackouts. And that's where I was going before with you couldn't stream anything in, in Portland. If you lived in Portland, you couldn't stream the Timbers. If you lived in Chicago, you could. You could subscribe for the out-of-market streaming package that if you're in- another city you're allowed to watch that game but if you're in the broadcast market you're blacked out that is that blackouts are not a thing under this deal it does not matter where you are in over 100 countries you can watch the games i wonder uh, i wonder how much it will impact the general knowledge of the average um watcher just in the sense of like you're probably not getting as like if it's on the app you're not getting just people who are flipping channels and like they end yeah. up on a soccer game like like the people right. who are watching it are going to be like are people who are basically tuning in they're paying for this they're tuning in to watch it like is, is that something that you think you would ever even like take into account in the way you do a broadcast of just it's probably not quite as like casual of a fan right i guess i mean there's right there's some intention that has to go into right. into choosing to watch a game now um I think we've always called the game, you know, for there's, there's a balance. And I think this is a philosophical soccer broadcasting in America question. Do you call it for somebody who knows nothing about soccer, who doesn't even know what the offside rule is, right? Doesn't know that the clock doesn't stop. Um, do you call it for the hardcore fan who wants to talk about all the tactics and the formation changes and the advanced analytics? How do you balance that? We've always been, I think, kind of somewhere down down the middle. Um, you know, we're not explaining the offside rule. This is, you know, even when we're on broadcast television on on in Portland, right over the air for free. So for me, that that stays the same. Um, what what is I think what we do have to do a little bit is is explain some of the nuances of MLS because I think there is an assumption that if you're watching this, you are a soccer fan, no matter where in the world you are. Like you could be watching this in England, in Germany, in Brazil. Um, and there are some nuances of MLS, like any league. Um, it is an American sports league with a salary cap, right? There's not promotion relegation. There are playoffs. So certain things that you would say in the MLS vernacular that may now be something we explain just a little bit. Right. Not, not doing a primary every game, but general allocation money, something that gets traded in MLS, basically that's salary cap space. One team can trade five hundred thousand dollars in general allocation money to another team. That means, you know, for a player, that means that um, you know that team that gets that general allocation money can now go five hundred thousand dollars over their salary cap budget. It, in you know, that's the ba- most basic way to explain it. Um, that's like a foreign concept. It's in European soccer, right? That um, in American sports, it makes a little more sense. There's right in the NBA. There's all these mid-level exceptions and bird rights and all those all sorts of things like that. So MLS has stuff like that. So we maybe explain that a little bit more than we used to. But yeah, I don't think we're you know, it's not soccer one on one, soccer for dummies. Um, but it's also not you know, soccer for 
the, the 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 soccer coach right that that down the street that wants to like really right um you know like talk about the tactics and all that stuff do you think portland is as unique of a soccer city as it was a decade ago I, i'm interesting so so, so, so my, my, semantically but, but, semantically on the word unique i would say no because i think the game has grown so much throughout the entire country that there are a lot of there's a decade ago there were not many not many cities in america where the soccer the mls team was was like relevant like really right. relevant right where you walk around downtown and you see people wearing the gear where you just ask somebody on the street hey what do you think about the insert mls team name and they know what you're talking about right like not even you have to like so portland there's plenty of people that aren't timbers fans and aren't soccer fans but i think generally like everybody who lives in the city recognizes that the portland timbers are a relevant thing to the city of portland right Whether no you one's gonna be like like what like why are you wearing a scarf like like there's none of that in this city. exactly it's like oh yeah timbers timbers whereas yeah. everyone's like what is that you know no yeah. but but look there are still cities in america where in Chicago, where I grew up, diehard Chicago Fire fan, this isn't to, to rag on Chicago. This isn't a novel thought. But if you were to stop a random person on Michigan Avenue and ask them about the Chicago Fire, they would probably think you were talking about the event that happened in you know in the turn of the century, the actual Chicago Fire right. that burned down so much of the city, or the television show, or the fire department before getting to the team. And like again, that's not that's not a novel thought, and it's not a knock on, on the fire who I grew up a diehard fan of. And MLS, it's harder to break in into a huge market like Chicago uh, than it is a place like Portland. It's harder to break in when it's a legacy team that's been around than when you can be have this momentum of being the new cool thing in town, as a lot of the expansion teams over the past decade have been. Uh, but there's still that those kind of issues in some markets in MLS. Now, though, there are again a decade ago, Portland would have been one of the very few where that wasn't the case. And now, I'd argue that there's probably uh, you know, maybe even half the markets in MLS are like that, where yeah, people get it. Austin FC, what a great addition to Austin. Yeah, we don't really care about soccer, but we're so glad they're here. We love it. Our friends go to every game and they love it. Nashville, St. Louis has always been a big soccer city, so Saturday night was kind of decades and decades in the making, and and maybe should have been sooner. Should have is the right. wrong word, but could have been. You know, was could have happened two decades ago. Um, Charlotte, Atlanta, what a success, right? So even LA, which is LA, is the hardest entertainment market in the world to break into maybe other than vegas because there's just so much happening but lafc has done an amazing job i was uh, watching that game that, that, that game this oh. weekend that looked like a great crowd yeah they're great they what they've done and the way they've marketed it it's been brilliant and it's it's made the galaxy raise their game as well and it's just you know la is um as a big market is is the showcase big market for major league soccer because new york you know, for ver- for various reasons, I think like still like there's there's levels to get to there in a good way. There's opportunity for growth. New York City FC is building a stadium next to City Field in the next five six years. That's going to be amazing. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, to to answer your question, I would say, and I don't know if this is what you meant by it, but I would say it is not as unique of a of a of an American soccer situation here in Portland as it was twelve years ago when the Timbers joined MLS. I, I was just thinking about that, like when I was leaving the stadium on Monday and it was like, it was, it was a decent crowd for it being frigid and it being a game that was moved from two days yeah. later. And, um, 
but when, so I, I moved to Portland in 2011. So it was like, kind of like right at, like right in the grips as like everything's accelerated, you know, like a couple of years in the MLS, um, you know, the, they shipped the baseball team out of town. So it's soccer only. It was, yeah. um, like that, that, that first decade of Portland in the MLS probably had to have been like as successful as you just as a franchise, as you know, you win a title, you have sold out attendance. Like, I, I'm just wondering how you move that into like the second decade of, of your franchise yeah. of, of not being like the new team on the block of not yeah. being like, this is the, the unique identity of our city that we like soccer. Like, it, yeah, I, totally. I'm, just, I'm just fascinated how they move that forward. I'm with you. It's a challenge. I've always thought it's going to be a challenge for for the timbers to because you knew the league is going to grow it's going to continue to grow the league is going to look different in 2040 right 2050 let's go that far let's go 27 years from now the league is going to look a lot different than it looks like now what if in 2050 it's standard that every team has a 50,000 40,000 seat stadium right it's more nfl say it gets there which everybody of course would be the dream for mls to get to the level of the nfl i'm not saying you know that's 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 lofty it might be that in 2050 it's impossible for any sports league to be at the level that the nfl is right now right for various for various reasons but say it gets to that point okay how does a, a market like portland a smaller market like portland continue to keep up with that when they were they were giants when the league was at at X, but how will they be when, when the whole league is lifted, right? So now the Chicago's are getting 50,000 people a game, right? How do you keep up with that? If you're in a market like Portland, I don't know the answer to that, right? It's a, it's a, that's where the business folk and and the soccer (laughs) side folk to figure out. But I do think that that's the the MLS conundrum um, for a team like Portland, because look, when I look at the history of the league, there have been inflection points throughout the now almost 30 years uh, of MLS. The first one was, you know, just the league starting. And then the next one was David Beckham coming to the league in 2007. And that coincided with kind of a, a soccer specific stadium boom where teams built their own stadium. A lot were playing in the NFL stadium or college football stadiums until the mid 2000s. And then the teams that were in the league, a lot of them built their own stadiums, but they built them wherever they could. And a lot of them were located and still are located in suburban areas, far out of uh, city centers. Um, and and it was good. Everything was going good and it, it pushed the league forward. Now teams have their own buildings. Now Beckham's there. Now we're getting stars into the league. We're getting more eyeballs. We're opening up with Beckham coming in. Now every team can sign a big player for however much money they want, right? So the salary cap is getting eased a little bit in in ways. And then at the turn of you know the decade, Seattle comes into the league in 2009. Portland comes into the league in 2011. And they show what having a stadium located in a city center can do for a team. The fan bases, the games in Seattle and in Portland look different to any game that that had happened in MLS, to any market in MLS. They were immediately relevant in their cities, incredibly relevant in their cities. Sell, Portland selling out, Seattle, you know, not quite selling out, selling out CenturyLink as it was known at the time, now Lumen Field, but getting 45,000 people a game, which was unheard of in MLS. And those two te- these two teams coming into the league just changed the perspective of the league. And to me, a, a, a bigger way even than, than, maybe not bigger way than Beckham coming, but similarly big way. I think it was a similarly significant inflection point because now the teams coming into the league realize where our stadium's located matters. Who we market to matters. You know, it, yes, sure, families, suburban families, 
the, for lack of a better term, I hate this term, but soccer mom, right? For lack of a better term using that. No, let's market to young people in the city that want to come out and have a good, good time. We put the, the stadiums in the, in the middle of a city so it can be part of a night out. It's only two hours. They can meet their buddies at six o'clock at the bar, have some beers, head to the stadium an hour later, watch the game, cheer, feel part of the community, feel part of your city, civic pride. And it's only two hours and then boom, you're back out to the bars and you're continuing your night. Right. Because, and look like in our era that matters where we are now, the intentions, attention spans are lower. My attention spans always been very low, but attention spans are lower for people and having a quicker game helps. So Portland and Seattle, I think just changed the thinking of that and it shifted it. But to so for, so they were ahead of it, right? So they had that Portland and Seattle had that advantage baked in for years because they were kind of ahead of things and they were selling out every game. As you said, Tyson, they, they're cool, right? I mean, they're in all the marketing of MLS is, is all Portland and it still is to an extent and Seattle, like images from these stadiums. But all of a sudden now Atlanta comes in and that was maybe a surprise, but they're getting 50, 60,000 people a game in this ridiculous dome. That's and a lot of people. A ton of money on the field. Oh, amazing. Right. Okay, whew, now we got to keep up with them. LAFC comes in, smaller stadium, but ultra, ultra premium. Um, so from a business standpoint, positive. Celebrities out at all the games, big stars everywhere. Okay, they're upping the game. Nashville, Austin, they come in. You know, Cities are buzzing. Minnesota, Cincinnati, who wasn't good uh, on the field to start. Minnesota wasn't good on the field to start, but they come in and they're having kind of similar impacts as as portland in their cities right so you're no longer this kind of unicorn the pacific northwest is no longer this anomaly that has this advantage of being really relevant in their markets um, now there's lots of places like that so right how do you keep up with that and go forward and especially on the field you know i think so that that's off the field right on the field you have that baked in with the timbers have had for a decade two of the best signings in mls history in the two diegos diego valeri and Diego Chara, and they took them to such amazing heights. So they won an MLS Cup. Um, they went to, to two others. Uh, and and like any team in sports, how to replace your superstars when they retire, when their careers end, is really hard for every team, right? Like most teams don't get that right across all sports. Most teams can't do it right away. So the Timbers, how they do that, Valeri, Diego Valeri is already obviously retired. He's now my teammate uh, with, with, <laughs> Apple, with Apple. He's a, he's a pregame, postgame analyst uh, in the Spanish language studio uh, in, in New York for, for our MLS matches on Apple TV. Uh, Diego Char is still doing it, and he probably will for three, four years, but the guy's going to be 37, I think, next month. So he said he wants to play until he's 40. I don't doubt that, but okay, that's not that far away, right? Like there's, so at some point it's, there's going to be no Diego's. There were dos Diego's. There's going to be no Diego's, Cerro Diego's in, 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 in pretty soon in the short term for the Timbers. So that's, that's difficult. And that's on Ned Grabovoy, right? Now the GM of the Timbers to, to figure out the way forward. But it, yeah, I've always thought that as the league progresses and that, that inherently baked in advantage of that the Timbers had for so many years goes away because the rest of the league, you know, comes becomes as relevant in their markets. Um, it, it's going to be a challenge for the Timbers, which is a great challenge to have, right? It's a good problem to have for the whole league. What, what do you do to improve as a broadcaster? And does it get any easier when you have uh, a nice broadcasting voice such as yourself to hear your voice 
<laughs> like on recordings or like or like like do, like do you go back and listen like do you rewatch broadcasts and take notes like like are you, you yeah do you self-criticize yeah. like like take me through your process a little bit absolutely so yeah uh i, I appreciate you saying nice voice uh, i don't always love the sound of my own voice but that i think is is typical i do it's um for me, what I tell any broadcaster, if, if young people, uh, you know, trying to get into the business, ask me advice. It's always watch watch yourself back. That was in Butte, Montana, and Bozeman, Montana, and Missoula, Montana. Um, that I was told that immediately. Watch it back. That's the best way to get better because you know what's good and what isn't good when you listen. And, and you're probably, for me at least, I am way more harsh on myself than I am mm-hmm. on others. And so. If, but if you don't watch it back, especially like a full game, right? I mean, we're talking, we're on TV for TV. We're, we're on our broadcast for about two and a half hours straight. So like when, when I was doing a newscast for three minutes, you kind of know how it went, right? Like when <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, over, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I messed up on that VO as we call it, but everything else is fine. Um, but when you're doing it for, for two and a half hours, you know, it, it, it's not as easy to remember all those moments and, and to even really understand how it comes off. So yeah, I think it's really always really important to watch yourself back. What's also with doing a live game, with doing a uh, you know a live game as we do, um, we're we're usually wa- I'm usually watching the field when the ball's in play, right? Um, our viewers are not; they're seeing what's on what our director is showing them, right? So that's something that we always have to balance when we're in the booth. We have monitors in front of us, so if at our best we kind of are able to take in both, so that if the if the director is showing the head coach and we're talking about the goalkeeper there's a disconnect between us and the truck the viewers see the goalkeeper or sorry see the coach i might be looking at the goalkeeper but the viewers see the coach so that's what i should be talking about or you know we shall be on the same page so so it's just like little little moments like that that um you know i like when you watch the game you don't pick that up when you're doing it live right but when you watch the game you might be like oh man like yeah i I'm, I wasn't good. Like I need to be better at watching my monitor in those moments. Or when this happens, you know, I was, I was scrambling too long and I was late to get back into the run of player, whatever. Right. Do, so do, do you have yeah. certain producers that you have better chemistry with? Like where it just seems like, like they, like it, you're like reading each other's minds during the broadcast well, or we, what you know, So I, I haven't, or does it, with, or does it even alternate? Like, like, or do you have the same, same right, people? Right. Right. So, you know, for me, for as the Apple, right. is very new. So Taylor and I will have a, a pretty consistent group, a uh, pretty consistent pairing of producer and director, I think for a lot of our games, um, but not, not for everyone. So, so we will be, there will be some variety there um, for the past, you know, eight, nine years with the Timbers. It was, you know, I think in eight, in eight years, I probably had last year was a little different, but really there were two producers that we had for the majority okay. of the time um, and, and one director Um John Bradford, Pike Parker, the producers, Pat Brown, the director, amazing people. We had an amazing team. I came into that team, right? I mean, they were the ones producing and directing John Strong in 2011, John Strong and Robbie Earl. Um, and we all, I, I felt, I was really proud of what we did as a team. And that includes Ross, um, that includes Russ Smith, that includes Nap Orchards and Liam Ridgewell when, when they were part of the broadcast. And I think we had, we all had a really good, you know, we knew each other really well. It's like a, like any team that's been together for, you know, for me, it was eight years for others. It was over a decade. You, you know, sometimes it doesn't work, but for us, I think it worked. We all got along great, had a great time with each other out on the road. So yeah, it, 
there's no doubt that that made a difference, right? I mean, we were a relatively well-oiled machine, I'd like to think. And I knew, I mean, there'd be times when my director, like Pike would get in my ear and he'd kind of like half complete his thought. And then something obviously happened in the truck. So he had to go take care of that. But I knew exactly what he was trying to say, right? right? Yeah. Because we worked together for so long in so many games. Um, it's going to be, that's going to be new now. And now we have to try to create that relationship and those relationships with, with new producers, which is, I think for me, a really good thing for my career, because that's, you know, that's the reality of television. You're not going to have the same producer every week as you go forward in your career. We had a really fortunate setup the past eight years with, with our really consistent team. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, to working, working with others and seeing how different people do it. Cause everybody's got a different style and exactly. I think it's important to branch out and, and do things. Different. I imagine it's like that with editors with you, right. And different, I guess you don't have an editor now. Yeah. yeah when no, you, I mean, when you did have editors. <laughs> well, actually, actually like to be completely honest, like I, I do lean on like a fair amount of people now. And like, if I'm working on like a longer story, like, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll send Grife some stories. I'll send some other people, some stories. And like, there are different people that I send stuff just to get like, cause I know like I get, they all have different perspectives on like, if I'm looking for somebody to like really like chop up like the copy and make it better, like I'll send it to one person versus like, you know, like everyone's got their different. Yeah. Um, cool. The, the, the next thing I was going to ask you is, is, is it impossible to get Steven Nelson to answer in any of your calls now these days? I mean, like now big Dodgers <laughs> broadcaster, like that, that's been one of my favorite things. Cause like, I barely even knew the guy. Cause I think it was like my first, I think I only matched up with him for one year before he left KZI, but to see him go from, from there to NHL network, MLB network to now uh, doing Dodgers TV. Like, like again, as I said earlier, you guys, you guys had a pretty damn good staff on KZI back in the day, man. Steven is a superstar. He deserves it more than anybody. I know um, it, he's a busy man. Oh, he also now has, has a, a, a young he's, child. He's got a kid does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that, that changes <laughs> and another on the way. So that changes things. Um, uh, he's awesome. He, he's he's one of my one of my closest friends. Uh, he was he was in my wedding, groomsman in my wedding. Um, he's been a big he was a big help for so because look he was the the inaugural voice of of Apple Sports with with the Friday Night Baseball package, which yep. was Apple's first foray into this into live sports. So, um, you know, early on in the process, he he was really kind to connect me with a couple people that, um, you know, were, were involved and able to, was able to, you know, kind of get on the phone and, and chat with some people early on in this, in this MLS pro- process with Apple when, when the deal was announced. Um, and now, now him going to, to LA, man, the dream for him to go home. He, he's a Cali, he's a Cali boy. He's a SoCal boy. And I know he's, 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 he's always been, um, always been, uh, family first. And that's a, that's a cliche. A lot of people use it, but for him, it's been real. And so I know he's, he's so thrilled to get back to, to that area, to Southern California Dodgers. Like, is there a bigger job in, in sports broadcasting uh, from a, you know, from a team perspective, like covering a team than being the voice of the Dodgers? I don't, I don't think there is. Um, and he's, you know, going to have, have a wonderful opportunity to do like a third of their games for now. I think that'll grow. Like Joe Davis is, is on a path, right? To you know, I don't, how much longer is he gonna be doing local games, even at all? So, right. yeah, man, I'm I'm thrilled for Steven. He deserves it, and I'm really proud. I'm really proud of, and like Eric Elkin is a lead news anchor in El Paso right now, um, doing a a wonderful job as a, a great journalist in a market that is so relevant 
from a national perspective, yeah. from a national journalism perspective in, in a border town like El Paso, Texas. Um, and uh, uh, so for him to, to be there, for, for Steven to be doing what he's doing, um, I'm really proud of, because it was the three of us were kind of like, probably two years as, as a, as a team together, maybe a little more. Uh, we were very close and I'm really proud of, of where we all are now. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a huge surprise because you three did phenomenal work, especially as, as, as teammates there. Um, if someone finds out that you used to be a football reporter back in a past life and they ask you like, what was covering the Oregon ducks? Like, like what's, what's kind of your, <laughs> your, your quick synopsis synopsis there. Oh, I had the golden years. It was yeah. amazing with Chip. Look, like, so Chip at the time got, there was this perception that they were really um, unfriendly to the media. Chip Kelly spoke to us every day, literally every day during football season. Like, that's crazy. Can you imagine <laughs> any, like, I, there's no coaches that would do that. You could talk to assistants too, which is like unheard Whatever, of. You, could, you yeah, could request yeah. anybody. Like, I get that, you know, I was there when it transitioned from, you could go to every, I mean, my first year covering the Ducks, practice was open to the public. Like, I remember going to the Mashovsky Center and just, just people on the sideline. Like, this is 2010. <laughs> crazy and at some point during that year they i think at the end of the year before the civil war they closed it down and it never really opened back up in the same way and so that made people oh they're they're closing practice blah 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 chip still talked every day after training you could you could request coordinators any player on the team it was so friendly to the media the amount of access we had was ridiculous uh and I remember, now unheard of in, i, I in remember when i started in uh, 2014, like I had a bunch of people being like, Oh, like have fun covering Oregon. They have like some of like the worst like media access around. And like now thinking of it in retrospect, like, like that was like, it was like, you could literally pick any player or coach that you wanted. Like, as long as they hadn't talked like two days in a row, right. like, it, like any time of the year, like now, like we don't with Oregon now and granted, like this is like the 13th head coach since you've left, but, um, <laughs> uh, like you Another get, you get the head. Out. Yeah, yeah, you get you get the head coach pretty consistently, but like you never get coordinators anymore, especially like after games, which like I just think that sucks because then you're asking like a coach like a lot of these like specific questions that they might not have like the media an answer to right away, or it just can be I don't know. It gives an out, doesn't it? Right? It it's, gives the it's, coach not an out. Like, it's it's not fun. It's it's not it's not very out. fun, like, Jake. You yeah, you left you know, at the right time. You got yeah. Whereas I, mean, I went to the Timbers game on, on Monday and like Gio was just like jazzed that like it was a relatively full like press room and like yeah. it was like thanking people for being you know yeah. just just a little bit different yeah for sure and look the 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 pandemic uh, changed obviously media access for for everybody in in a way that it obviously makes it more difficult for for journalists it made sense um, and so yeah it's good to have people back now cuz there were a few years where even at Providence Park right it was all on Zoom the post game stuff and i know everybody likes seeing people in person and and there's we run into this in our pregame broadcast meetings right with with coaches um you just there's something so different when you're face to face with somebody you 100%. can get so much so much more out of them whether it's on the record whether it's off the record you create a relationship um and in 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 a way that i think benefits both both people, right? If if done correctly, and so, yeah, the you know the Zoom is not the same as. In well, it, well, yeah, I kind of just expanding on that. Like it, it, 
it give it opens up the ability to like have like either small talk or real conversations just to like prove like that you're human like with people like when it's just when like you're lined up into a queue to like interview somebody and then as soon as the interview is over like you log off or you know at, at Oregon <laughs> at Oregon at the peak of kind of its hilarity you know like they would like bring the coach in with like the rent a cop with them and then like take him away with them too and it's like there's no like or, or just the ability to even like ask like a follow-up question, like when you're in person or, or just, you know, kind of like the norms yeah. of like, like, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just so much more productive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, man, those, those days were great. We like the team was, was thrilling to watch. Right. I mean, they were, they were the, they were the, all eyes of the country were on Oregon for, for those years. So I felt really you, fortunate. You, it was good timing. You, it was good timing for me and Eugene. You, you guys had some good personalities to work with too. Like I, I remember fondly, um, what was it moose tracks with uh tyler, oh, johnstone. tyler johnstone yeah like Ooh. like i like i'm surprised that moose guy hasn't ended up in television or like a politician or something i know he was amazing <laughs> his well he was uh he was in that will ferrell movie like what before he came to oregon he's yeah. slurpy at, at will ferrell is that think, is what it was <laughs> he was tyler was amazing man oh b- big ups to tyler johnstone who was he was so he was so great he was up for anything i mean he really drove that. the thing is and here's the thing he was like 10 years early because in the NIL era, that man would be a hundred percent moose time. First of all, we wouldn't be involved with moose time. He'd be doing that himself on his TikTok or his Instagram. And he'd be getting big, big, big dollars for that being, uh, you know, being sponsored. So sorry for Tyler that we couldn't, we couldn't even pay him, but uh, obviously we did not pay him. Um, but, you know, I'm sure it, it helped him in ways, right? He's a little more well-known because of moose time than he would have been otherwise. Uh, all right. Let's get you out of here on where's your next broadcast. Yeah, going to Charlotte this weekend. Charlotte, Atlanta uh, is the game. Is that, is that a new Atlanta city? Stadium. Is that a new city? For I can't imagine you've been to Charlotte a ton before, right? No, it'll be my first time in Charlotte. Yeah, so this All is right. their second year in the league. Well, I've been to Charlotte uh, as a person, but I haven't called a game there. Um, they're, uh, their second year in the league. Last year, um, you know, with, with East-West, they didn't play the Timbers. So I was supposed to actually supposed to do a game for ABC. Charlotte versus the New York Rebels and got COVID three days, two days before oh, the game. No. So I, I had to, I had to I bail. I had to, you know, I had to pull myself out, which was devastating. Um, so now knock on wood, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be flying out there on, uh, at the end of this week and, and doing the game, uh, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time on Saturday. Uh, it, that one's for free as well on, uh, on Apple TV, on the Apple TV app, tv.apple.com. So you don't need to have, have a subscription to MLS season pass. If you go to Apple TV or to, to tv.apple.com, you'll just be able to watch it no matter where you are in 100 countries. So they've got a great thing going there too. I mean, they they play in Bank of America where where the Panthers play, same ownership group, and they get they got 69,000 people, over 69,000 people to their season opener two weeks ago. It's Charlotte, North Carolina. That's incredible. It's crazy. So it'll be, it'll be a good crowd. It's a little rivalry there between Charlotte and Atlanta like it is in most sports. Um, so I'm buzzing, buzzing to get out there. Awesome, Jake. Well, hey, it's 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 been really cool to to see just kind of the growth of this thing, and I I can't like I I I personally do enjoy like the streaming experience. Like I I really I did get back into like that the like the MLB game of the week when it was on Apple. I thought Stephen yeah. and uh, them did a great job with it. Uh, I watched uh, I watched uh, broadcast Timbers broad sorry not the Timbers. I watched a couple of the broadcasts on uh, the MLS season pass uh, as as the debuts happen this week, it's, it's slick. It's a great app. It's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah. uh, thanks, thanks for thing. coming. Yeah, thanks man, for coming, man. That's <laughs> the thing with it, the quality. I mean, I'm glad you noticed. That. I think that 
and look, we didn't even really talk about it, but is if some of your listeners, you know, thinking of is the Pac-12 going to go streaming, whatever, I do think that the, the video quality was the, substantially the video quality better. is amazing. Yeah. And look, that's something that that was an issue. What was it two years ago with the Ducks, mm. right? So it's it's yeah. still not great. I was watching a hoops, uh, I was watching a Ducks hoops game a couple of days ago, yeah. and it's still like it's like it's like seven twenty at best, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and we're ten eighty p, and it looks it right. I mean, if, even even if you're if you don't care about soccer at all and you're curious about what the future of, of watching sports on streaming platforms is tune in this weekend. And I think that's the one thing you'll notice is it looks great. And that, that changes your experience, especially a game like football, right? When you, any sport, any sport, but you know, there's a lot going on in football and hockey. You're a hockey guy, Tyson hockey, maybe more than any sport is, is Makes it, most the, the, benefited by a better picture quality. Right? I, I remember the jump to HD for hockey. Yeah. It, was like, it was like a brand new sport. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad you noticed that. All right. That's Jake Ziven. You can follow him on Twitter at Jake Ziven. Uh, thanks for coming on, Jake. We'll, we'll yeah. definitely have you again. Hey, I'm, I'm always, always up for the I five corridor. I appreciate you bringing the beautiful game into your fold. Uh, uh, it's about time. <laughs> listening to the I-5 Corridor.